to and through. Uh, the series to and through is all about generosity and the idea that God has given each one of us some many things, not just one thing, but many things. And he doesn't want his, his gifts and his blessings to us to be like a dead end. You know what I mean? Like he wants it to be multiplied to the world. And just like he said to Abraham in, uh, in Genesis, he said, I'm going to bless you and, and you're going to become a blessing to many. I think he says the same thing to all of us. Like he would say, Jim, I'm going to bless you in some ways, and I want you to become a blessing to many. Like I don't want it to be a dead end with you. In fact, it can be multiplied through you. And Lori, I don't, I don't want to just bless you. I want you to become a blessing to the world so that people might know their heavenly Father and come to praise him. And so God gives us blessings for us to enjoy. I mean, I, I think there's a part of it that he wants us to enjoy his blessings to us, but he doesn't want it to be a dead end. He actually wants it to be multiplied to the world around us. And so when he, when he, when he blesses us or when he provides, and we might use the word provide instead of just bless, because I think sometimes we have a, the idea of blessing. We're not sure exactly what that means. But when God provides for us, and when, especially when he provides more than we need, his, his dream, I think, what God wants to see is, is that provision multiplied through us to the world. He wants us to become a, a part of something bigger than just us. Two quick stories. Uh, some of you will remember these stories in, in the New Testament. Uh, the first one is when Jesus is kind of nearing the end of his life. And he's going to be put to death on the cross, and it's the week before, and we know it usually as Palm Sunday. You remember that day that we call Palm Sunday in the church, and we, there's palm branches waved around, and, uh, and we kind of celebrate or remember the idea of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. And do you remember what he rode into Jerusalem on? Does anybody remember? A donkey. Unbelievable. You guys, this is like awesome Sunday school class. Like a donkey. You remember he rode into, into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, question. Did Jesus, um, did he need to ride in to town on a donkey or could he have walked? He, he probably could have walked, right? He walked all, all over the place. Did he need a donkey? He didn't, he didn't need a donkey. There were some reasons um, some, some subliminal messages that, that, that God, I think, was trying to, to, to further through him riding in on a donkey and not like some powerful stallion or anything like that, that, that Jesus rode in on a humble animal, right? But if you back up just a little bit, Jesus sends his disciples into town first, and he said, I want you to go and you'll find a donkey, and I want you to talk to the owner of the donkey and tell him that the Lord, God, needs his, his donkey. And like, I think about that story and I think that's, I mean, that's ridiculous. God owns the donkeys, all the donkeys. Like God owns it all, right? He created, like the creator of the universe now, walk with me here. Who owns everything, and he could have just made a donkey appear. Like, he didn't need to go to someone who owned a donkey and ask for permission to use the donkey. But he did because he wanted to invite a human like you and me into his story to be able to take something that he had given them and invite them to be a part of something much bigger. Can you imagine the guy with the donkey or the woman with the donkey after the story? Like, oh my gosh, that was my donkey that Jesus was riding into town on. 
Like I got to be a part of something much bigger than me simply because I said yes to what God had blessed me with. Now, come on. That is exactly what God wants to do in us. Like we get to be a part of, of providing a donkey, which seems insignificant, but is a part of something much bigger. You all answered the question, what did Jesus ride into town on, on Palm Sunday? You all said, a donkey. Like that donkey's famous. It's a famous donkey. Some of you are like, all right, will you quit, Matt? Okay, there's another story. You get the picture of that one. There's another story where Jesus is in town, Jerusalem, final week, and he wants to gather with his disciples and have some of the most significant, um, the things that we remember the most about the final week of Jesus happened. Do you remember where they happened on the, the night before he was in the, the upper room? Yeah, see some of you, it's like Sunday school class. I love it, you guys are right. I wish I had like a flannel graph board. You know what, some of you will remember those. And so, uh, upper room, so it was in the upper room. Somebody owned that upper room. Uh, a few of us were in Israel earlier this year and we went to what maybe was the upper room. Now who knows where it was and you know, they're not sure exactly where it was, but something like this. And so um, there was an upper room, somebody owned it. And in Luke, Jesus tells his disciples to go and there'll be a man with a pitcher of water. I mean, the, the story's crazy. Like there's just a man with a pitcher of water and Jesus says, like, talk to that guy, go with him to the, to the house, and there'll be an owner who owns the house. Go talk to that woman who owns the house, because we all know that it's really the women who own the house. And so go talk to her and tell her, like, the Lord wants to use the upper room. And we all remember what happened in the upper room. Jesus sits down at the meal for his disciples, and uh, this is my body, breaks the bread. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Passes the wine around. You guys remember like what happened in the upper room? The upper room, somebody owned the upper room. And God invited that person or that family or whoever it was into this grand narrative story, the story that we still talk about today in the world where we live 2,000 years later. We still talk about the upper room. Now, I know some of you, I get it, like you'll roll your eyes and think, Matt, that was Jesus, a whole different ball game. It's a whole different ball game, except for the fact that what God wants to do with you and with me could change a life for eternity because we simply said, God, I'm not gonna hold on to what you've provided to me, but rather I'm just gonna live with, with open hands so that I might become a part of the story at any point at which you wanna invite me into the story. I, I, I wanna become a part of what you're doing. Now, whenever you talk about generosity, immediately most people think about money and you don't wanna talk about money and I hate talking about money and all of that, but generosity is so much bigger. And at the end of the day, a conversation or a series about generosity is never about guilt. I, my heart, hear my heart, I never want it to be about guilt. I want us to see generosity in the context of gratefulness because when we're grateful for all that God's provided us, that's what leads to, to, to a place and, a, and a, a, a perspective of being able to share with others what God has simply provided. And it's through that, that generosity that the blessings or the provision then is multiplied. God multiplies it. 
I mean, think about the little boy when there, there was a crowd of thousands and Jesus said to the disciples, he said, feed, like, we need to feed these people. And the disciples are like, Jesus, you, you're crazy. Like, we can't feed these people. There's nothing. And Jesus says, what do you have? And the disciples go, and what do they find? A little boy. And the little boy has what? Some bread and fish, fish sticks. That's all they, that's all get, that's all they can find. But it was in the offering of the bread and the fish sticks that fed multitudes, and we still tell that story today. And you might think, I don't have much. I don't, I don't make much. My gifts aren't as good as someone else's gifts. But it's in the offering of those gifts that God then multiplies them, and they become bigger than they'll ever be in your hands alone. Are you with me? Now, that's where somebody should say amen. <laughs> yeah. God is good, isn't he? And the premise is God is good, God is good, God is good. That's the premise of this whole series, that God is good. And generosity is simply acknowledging that God is good, acknowledging that God has provided, and living with open hands. So that if the Spirit moves in us, if the Spirit nudges us, we will be conduits of his provision to others in the world all around us. Now, in, when we talk about generosity, a couple quick things, and we're going to jump into uh, one passage that I just want us to zero in on, and it's a famous passage. You've heard it before. Um, but real quick, you might not be able to see this chart, but it, it gives us some ideas of how practicing Christians view generosity. And I love this, that it's not just about money. In fact, money's like halfway down on this list. That, that practicing Christians, and what it means to be a practicing Christian is not just to be Christian in, in um, I am a Christian, saying I, I claim to be a Christian, but it's I do something with, with Christianity, whether I gather with a local body on a regular basis, I pray regularly, I, I study scripture, um, I trust that Christ has, has set me right with the Father, that these are the ways that we view generosity. And I love this, volunteering, and service, emotional, relational support, so walking with people through challenging uh, times in their lives, monetary support, so there is a financial component to generosity, but also gifts, like gift giving, like delivering some turkeys down to the Phoenix Rescue Mission seems like, oh, like, is that really that big of a deal? Well, it, it is to the family who, who receives a turkey who wasn't gonna receive a meal on Thanksgiving, it's a huge deal to them. It might not mean, seem like that much to you, but it, like, in the way that God uses it, it's unbelievable. Uh, and then hospitality. Now, it's interesting to me that in all of these studies uh, done by Barna and some others, Pew Research um, in, in the country, of all these studies, hospitality is always the lowest on the list. That in our day and age, we don't view uh, hospitality as, a, as really a part of our Christian expression. And that's sad to me. Be because the, the concept of, of hospitality and opening your life to others, opening your house and being hospitable to people that you know and people that you don't know, you know, I, I think one of the greatest things that you could do to become a more generous person is invite your neighbors to, ha to share a meal at your house. You open up your, your house and you say, I simply want to invite you over uh, and I'm going to be hospitable to you. I'm, you. Well, you shouldn't say that because they'll be like, I don't know what that means, so no. But if you just say, hey, I'm going to, you know, gonna do a barbecue and 
that you just, you simply open your house. Like one of the, some of us, that's what we need to do. When we talk about generosity and the idea that God is good, God has provided most of us in this room a house or a condo or some place under roof to, to sleep at night. And in that, like God wants you to be hospitable to others. The scriptures talk about it all the time. And um, that's part of being generous is all those different things. Now, what's interesting too is if you look at the spectrum of ages of people, so if you look from millennials, I know there's a generation after that, but if you start with millennials and go all the way up to what they're calling the elders generation, so you've got the boomers in between there and then Gen X, which is me, how they view the most important part of, of generosity. And so Gen X, this is me. Uh, this is the one that I'm a part of. Uh, our generation believes that the expression of generosity is, is most fulfilled in our relational or emotional support. That's what they find in our generation is that we view our generosity as being, hey, we can walk together. It's more relational uh, than, than before. Uh, if you go up to the elders and, and the boomers, the boomers have a little bit more of a mix, but the elders, it's more of a financial thing. So when you talk about generosity with, with the elder generation, uh, it, a lot of times it's more the financial thing. And so some of that might be ability, like just where they are in the stage of life and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of different pieces of this. But when you talk about and when you think about and when you wrestle with generosity, for you it might be seeing what's most natural and doing something a little bit that might stretch you. For millennials, millennials view generosity primarily through the lens of serving. And we hear that about the millennial generation, that it's, that it's more about serving and hardly ever financial. And when it is financial, it's more of a spur of the moment financial thing. It's not a planned giving kind of a thing. We can have a lot to learn from the boomers and the elders about planned giving, like planning our generosity. Does that make sense? Now, scripturally, I've loved this passage. We've, I've put it up every week. I just think it's so important to remember that the generous Scripture tells us, and this, we, we find this to be true in all kinds of generosity studies, that the generous will prosper, that those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. There is something about being generous with other people. And this, like those of you who served yesterday in, in your different arenas, wh wherever it was, there was something in doing what you did that breathed a little life into you, right? I'm not gonna put you on the spot, but right? Like there's something about serving others that all of a sudden it changes our perspective. And I don't, I don't know that I've ever been a part of it, like a serving opportunity or project or anything where I regretted spending or investing that time in other people. You know what I mean? Like you just don't regret those things. In fact, you, you find more life in them. I loved yesterday seeing uh, Ryan Chasen's little kids Moose, the youngest one, who's just a truck, uh, Moose was, was hobbling around over at the school picking up trash, you know? It was awesome. And, and they had these smiles on their, they loved it. They had these smiles on their face. And on the way home, Maggie, their daughter, I think she's in kindergarten or first grade, I can't, I can't remember. Um, Maggie, their daughter, said, Mom, that was so fun. Why doesn't everybody do this? Why doesn't everybody do this? There is something contagious, like we are refreshed when we refresh others. There, there's, like scripture talked about that, you know. So, okay, so passage of scripture. 
You're like, Matt, are we ever gonna get to the message? Have you not started yet? <laughs> now I really scared some of you. Okay. Let's get started. You've heard this passage, and I wanna simply walk through this, and we're gonna slow play this, this passage and walk through it, um, and just let it sink into us. And here's the first line. Well, before I give you the first line, Sorry, there's a rabbit. I just saw it. <laughs> Something. This is, a, this is a conversation that Jesus has with a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is one of the Pharisees. He's kind of in the religious circles. He's, he's, he's a somebody. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night to have a conversation because he doesn't want people to know that he, he's going to Jesus to have a conversation with him. So under the, the, probably under the cover of dark, just so that not too many people see what's going on. And, and so Nicodemus, Jesus begin a conversation. And Jesus, I think, is a little caught off guard that Nicodemus, who's a religious leader, doesn't get it. He's like, Nicodemus, you're a religious leader. You don't, you don't get it. You've been studying the scriptures your whole life. Did you know you can study scripture your whole life and miss out on a relationship with God? Woo, that one will preach. Nobody said amen to that. You can know a lot about somebody and never really know them. Like I think someone who drips joy into this world is Justin Timberlake, but I couldn't answer that because I don't really know Justin Timberlake. I know some about Justin Timberlake. He drips something into the world. Sometimes it's joy, and, uh, but I don't know him. You can know a lot about somebody and never really know them. You can know a lot about God and never really know him. And Jesus was saying, I think to uh, Jesus was, was saying to Nicodemus, you've studied a lot, you know a lot about God, but I'm not sure you really know him yet. And so this is what Jesus says to Nicodemus. Now let's start the sermon. Um, he says, for God so loved, and like I said, we're gonna kinda slow work into this. Um, yeah, he didn't say that. He said, uh, <laughs> for God so loved the world. God so loved the world. God so loved the world. Now, like I said, I'm just going to work through this slowly. I, I, want that, I, I, want you, I want you to let that sink in to, you, to, to your mind and your heart this morning. Like God, there was something that captured him about the world. Like he, he was so in love with his creation. Which means this, and some of you came this morning to hear this. God so loves you. Like God loves you so much more than you could ever imagine. And it doesn't really matter like what, what's been going on in your life or the choices that you've made. Like it, 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 it doesn't change the, the, the incredible, magnificent, unbelievable, undescribable love that God has for you. And some of you need to know that because you just don't believe it. You don't believe it. You're like, he might love parts of me, but he doesn't love me. And, and Jesus, who's God in the flesh, said, for God so loved the world. Now we're gonna get to what he did, but he so loves you. God's, he's, he's in love with you. Now one of the challenging parts of this is God doesn't just so love you, he loves him and her as well. The people that you don't so love. 
Like God loves them. And sometimes we like to Sometimes we like to think, well, God loves those who, you know, and we fill in the blank with God, God loves those who, no, no, God loves everyone. There, there is no, there are no boundaries around this. There, there's no like hoops to jump through. God so loves the world. And this is how much he loves the world. Um, he so loved the world that he gave like generosity flows from God's love. Love, God's love for the world motivates this, this, this idea of giving, this, this idea of generosity. And here's what's unbelievable about that is you think about the world and you think about the evil that you see in the world. Some of you think of that really quickly. You have something in mind when, when you think. Think about all the evil that, that, that you've that you've heard about, that you've seen, all of like think about evil, however it is that you, like God so loved the world. Like all that stuff, he doesn't love the evil, but he loves the people on, on all ends of the spectrum. Like God so loves that he gives. And what does he give? Like what is it that, that God gives? He gives his son like a piece of himself. Like he gives everything to this world that is a mess, that is a wreck. He so loves the world that he, he doesn't just like give something that's important. He, like he gives everything that he has. And here's the deal with this is that for God, this is personal. This is personal. It's relational. God's giving to us isn't just about some sort of something or that's tangible or it's not about money and goods. Like God provides all that we need in all those arenas, but, but what God really gives is his heart in a relational and personal way to you and me. And for God, Christianity and what he initiated with Jesus had nothing to do with religion and the religious structures that we put together and the religious systems, and sometimes those things are necessary and important, but for God, that's not the point of it all. It's a relational thing and a personal thing that he wanted to initiate with you and with me and the people we think are on the outside of his love. No, 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 it's personal for him and it's relational for him. And he gives himself, he gives his son, and he says this, that. Jesus said that anyone who believes, now this word believes is a tough one, anyone who believes in, in him won't, won't end up in, in death, and he's talking about a much bigger death when he says perish, but will enter into this, this eternal life. And in our minds and in the Christian worlds that m many of us have been part of, we're just thinking about heaven, but Jesus is talking about life today, like this joy and like a whole different kind of living in the, in the world today. Anyone who, everyone who believes, and I love the word, word everyone because it means, like in the Greek, everyone means everyone. Right, let me teach you a little Greek today. <laughs> if you look at the word that we translate everyone in Greek, it means everyone. Like Christianity isn't narrow. A lot of times we think 
different religions are narrow. Christianity isn't, isn't narrow. It's actually quite wider than we ever imagined because everyone, like everyone who believes, the word believe in, in this context, I think you could probably replace it with maybe the word trust, everyone who trusts in him, everyone who, who leans their weight into him and, and, and doesn't rely on what the world normally thinks of for our, our standing, like if we trust in him, if we lean into him, if we put our weight full into this, this God who, who entered into our world personally, if anyone, everyone who does this will enter into a whole new kind of life, both now and into eternity. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a beautiful verse? This, this idea that God so loves the world, he, he so loves you and me and everybody we think he doesn't love, like he loves them. And anyone who would simply lean into them with our, with our full weight and our trust, like enters into a whole new kind of way of living that is fulfilling and full. And, and then the next verse, which we often skip, which I think is really important. God did not send his son into the world. He didn't give himself relationally and fully, completely to condemn the world. Ah, oh, I love that piece. I love it. Listen, if God didn't send his son to condemn the world, then the church shouldn't go into the world to condemn the world either. Ooh, I'm gonna get in trouble for that one. Maybe y'all didn't hear that. If God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, then it's probably not the church's job to enter into the world to condemn it either. But we should, I knew somebody was here this morning, but we enter the world not to condemn it, but rather to be a little salt and light into a dark and tasteless world. Like that's our role. Come on, church, that's our role. And that's what generosity is all about. It's not about entering the world to, be a, to enter and, to, and to, to be a proclamation of what we don't agree with because the church has been really good at that, like telling them about the things that, hey, be sure to remind them of all the things we don't agree with. Tell them what we don't like. Tell them what God hates. I'm like, I'd rather tell them about what God loves, and that's them. And that's the love, it's the love of God, and it's the personal relationship. When someone enters into relationship with, with God, it's his spirit that will work in them to change them. We were not called to be about that. We were called to simply introduce and, and, and invite people into a new kind of relationship, and we let God do the convic conviction piece of it. It might be through something that we say, or, but, but it's his job. It's his role to do that. Church, we need to be about spreading the goodness of God and the love and not be about condemnation. That's, that's our role as the church. We need to be the change that we want to see. So, I'm going to start the sermon now. <laughs> Five things, real quick. And, and maybe one of these is, is the, the thing that, that God's spirit nudges in you. So just see whichever one it is. Because I think there's five different ways maybe we, we need to grow in our generosity as people who are, who are following Christ and learning to love. So the first one is this. Um, recognize how good God has been to you. 
Some of us, we just need to, we need to be reminded. We need to walk around uh, our house and just be reminded, oh my gosh, God has given me so much more than I deserve. Like, like God has done something, he's provided something that I just know, like this isn't of me. And I just need to recognize how good God has been. And we need to like quit comparing ourselves to the best that someone else has and, and say, you know, God, I know you've blessed them and I rejoice in that, like that's awesome, but you've also blessed me. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna uh, measure your blessings based on what someone else has. I'm gonna measure your blessings based on the goodness that you've given to me, what you've provided me. And it's hard to do that in the world, isn't it? Especially with Instagram and Facebook and all those things where everybody puts their greatest hits out there for us to see and we just think, oh man, my life will never in, you know, live up to their greatest hits. Don't compare yourself. Just recognize God's goodness to you. So maybe for some of you, that's it. Second one, uh, join God's work through the local church. And there's two little ways I wanna encourage you to do this. For some of you, it's, it's simply to, to, in your recognition of God's goodness to you, to recognize that God's given you some gifts that you can use through the local church to become good news in this community. And there's so many ways to serve on the dream team here. And that's what we call our volunteers and serving is the dream team, because it's the dream team. In Greek, it was the dream team. It's the dream team today too. <laughs> so I would encourage you, like jump in, like get in the game. Some of you did it yesterday with serve day. Some of you, it was the first time you've ever served in that way. Awesome, like keep doing it. Like jump in and be the change, like engage in the local church, which will be here in this community long after we're all gone. Like invest in it, engage in it. And the second way of that is financial. And some of us need to financially engage and partner with the church, with God's mission here. And some of you are unbelievably generous in how, that you, how you already do that. You give sacrificially. It's unbelievable to me the ways that some of you have jumped in and furthered the work of God here. It's, sometimes there's little stories that pop up and it's just overwhelming to me and some of you are super creative with how you do it. Now, let me give you an example. We, uh, our, our debt load, um, we talk about this, this isn't a secret or anything like that. Our debt load at McDowell is 3.1 million and it is, uh, it's a line of credit. It's not a mortgage or anything like that because there was a family in our church who got really creative about how they wanted to engage financially and they leveraged some things to, to make it possible for us to have a line of credit Guess what the rate on our line of credit is on that 3.1 million? It's, it's 0.9% because someone was super generous in how they wanted to leverage some different things to help the church out financially. 0.9%, come on y'all, that's crazy. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And what it, what, it, what it allows us to do as a church is focus on some other things to further the work of God and not always have to be hamstrung by, by debt load. There's all kinds of creative ways. Someone gave this, uh, this gift this year of an investment 
So they didn't give cash, they gave an investment that actually gives cash to the church every single month. It's the gift that keeps on giving. At first I thought it was the Jelly of the Month Club, but it wasn't. It was an investment that, better than the Jelly of the Month, trust me, it was awesome. Like there's all kinds of creative ways. Like some of you, like it's unbelievable what you can do when you get creative with what God's blessed you with. And I'd say partner with the church. If you believe in the church, partner with the church financially. Okay, that's enough on that one. Next one. Uh, oh wait, go back one. If you see a need that you can meet, just do it. Just do it. Like if you're in a situation and you see somebody who needs something and you have the, the ability to, to do something, do it. That's how you become a more generous person. Just meet the need. Like don't jump through all the hoops. Like just, just meet the need. This last week we had a Jewish family, one of our neighbors who, uh, they have a daughter who was having a bat mitzvah and they didn't have anywhere to do it. And the city turned them down. They couldn't do this thing at the park that they wanted to do. And they called the church and they're like, ah, you know, we're gonna have to cancel everything. Is there any way we could use the parking lot of the church? And I'm like, absolutely. And then the whole thing about liability and all that, you know, because that's how our world works. And I'm like, oh, liability. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. We have a parking lot. They just need the parking lot for a little bit of time. Like, I probably shouldn't say this. Who cares about liability at that point? Just like, let them use the parking lot. You know what I mean? Like we got, I'm sorry. I've got insurance people in the room who are gonna throw things at me. But you know what? We got a parking lot. Let them use the parking lot. They just wanted to race cars and go-karts. It wasn't a big deal. All right, next one. If you hear of or see a burden, now this is a big one, pray for it. If, if you hear of or you see a burden in someone's life, like, just add it to your prayer list. Write it down somewhere that you're gonna see and just start praying for it. Guys, prayer is awesome. I think prayer moves the heart of God, but I think it also moves our heart and changes us. So if you see, if you see a burden, pray for it. Okay, one more. If you think a kind, ooh, here's, I love this one. If you think a kind thought, say it. Just say it. How many times do we, uh, we have this moment in our lives where we, there's something going on in our mind and then we get sidetracked and we never say what God put on our heart to say? It happened to me this week. Um, Sheldon, who uh, many of you know, he helps with our security here. He's just been, like crazy busy over the last eight, nine months because he works with, uh, he works with like the, the government's uh, response to difficult situations, let's just say that. And COVID response, all that kind of stuff. He's on the front lines of, of all that. And this week, uh, I, just, I just thought of this. This week, I, I thought to myself, oh, I gotta send, I gotta send Sheldon a quick note just to, to tell him, you know, thank you for all he does. and. I miss seeing him as much as, 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 as I've been seeing him because he's working all the time. He's working on Sundays and all that. And, and I, uh, I thought about it and then I didn't text him. And then I saw him this morning and he's like, man, I'm so ready to be done working all these days so I can get back into it. And I was like, man, God wanted me to encourage you this week. And I failed at being a generous person. Like some of us, our generosity, we need to use our voices to be more generous and joyful when God puts something on our heart. Anybody been there? You know what I mean? Have you ever done that? And then you just feel like a failure and I'm just telling all of you, like, I'm a failure sometimes at this stuff. 
I don't have all this figured out. But God invites me and you, even in our failures, to simply step alongside what he's doing in this world. Isn't God awesome? He has this reckless love for us. He has this reckless love for the world. And he says, I want you to be a part of it. You got a donkey? Bring the donkey along. I could use that. You know what I mean? You got, a, you got some money, you can buy an extra turkey. There's some people who aren't gonna have a good Thanksgiving meal unless you come along with me and be a part of that. There's an upper room in your house. You got an upper room in your house? Let's throw a dinner party. Everybody loves a good dinner party, right? I've blessed you with finances beyond what you ever imagined. Do you remember when you first got out of school and you thought to yourself, man, if I could just make $25,000, I'd be so rich. Like, I don't even know what I would do with all that money. If I could just get to the place where I make $25,000, like if that was, God, if I made that, you could have the rest. And now God's going, really? That was the number? But you remember, you remember those days and you just thought, oh, God's blessed us. Isn't God good? He's blessed us so many ways, and he invites us to be a part of his story, which is awesome to me. Let's stand, let's sing about his reckless love to close. And God, you, your, your love uh, is just so much wider and bigger than we could ever imagine. It's, it's almost reckless the way that you love us because you leave the 99 to go seek after the one who's wandered away. That's the, that's the kind of love you have. And God, you invite us to be a part of this same kind of love for this world. So as we turn our hearts and our minds towards you to worship you, I pray that your spirit would move in us. You would nudge us wherever it is that you would have us go.